Hello and welcome to this week's Politically Speaking podcast. I'm your host, as always, Chris McDaniel, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio today, a very congested Jason Rosenbaum of the St. Louis Beacon. Uh, I'm having deja vu. <laughs> and, 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 and a very tired, but somewhat energized. Fatigue does that to you, <laughs> Joe Mann. I just want to. I just want to. I, I just want to point out this is the second time we've done this intro because some rando <laughs> called us asking for the flower shop a few minutes ago. <laughs> That's why we're giggling. Right uh, okay, yeah, a little well, extra humor here. Take take two, but Joe, you you're exhausted because you've been in Jefferson City. Yes, since Monday, and I just got back uh, late Thursday night. I have a lot of respect for the Capitol. Uh, press corps because these last few the, the last few weeks of session every year you earn your money <laughs> this is where you earn your comp time <laughs> yes <laughs> you borrowed the phrase there but but for myself <laughs> yes and and i really gained a lot of additional respect that i already had for marshall griffin of who works for a number of public radio stations around the state who told me he'd been getting about only about two or three hours of sleep a night because he was having to cover all the stuff, and then do all these um, radio broadcasts. Yeah. So um, the the big thing is this unexpected windfall of money, which for most of the legislators, because of term limits, they have never seen this. Yeah. Because uh, since 2008, for about two years, the Missouri uh, bottom line, as far as the state government concerned, was going down, down, down. It's just been a lot of cutting, except although in 2009 there was like this stimulus money that was being divvied out. But in, in, in recent years, it's just but, been cut, cut, cut. No, but even with the $4 billion in stimulus that Missouri got for that they spread out over three years, the governor still had to cut at least $1.5 billion yeah. from the various budgets. Mm-hmm. So that's how bad it was. All of a sudden... And different people have different interpretations. Um, the fortunes have started to turn around. Uh, last year was a little better. This year, though, in the last few months, things have started to go gangbusters. So the April um, numbers came out um, early Thursday, uh, which showed that the state uh, growth for the month was up 27% from the April of 2012. And the April of 2012 had been better than mm-hmm. earlier. But more importantly, the year-to-date totals, this is for the fiscal year that ends June 30th, it's now running uh, almost 12% above the year before. And they had budgeted, even with the revised budget, it was less than 5% increase they were estimating. So right now the state, it looks like the state has um, uh, above budget, above what was budgeted, if nothing else, you know, assuming things stay constant, they're going to have at least an extra three or four hundred million in just the current year budget, uh, money that they hadn't expected. So, what do we do with it? Well, that's the question. Now, on Monday, and this is this shows how things can change so quickly. On Monday, uh, the speaker Tim Jones, who's from suburban St. Louis, had a news conference on various issues, and among other things, he was saying that. Um, he was he was venting at the Senate because the state Senate, while they made a whole bunch of cuts in some programs, including motor vehicles, which is a side issue. But yeah. um, the bottom line is the overall Senate budget was uh, a few million, just like three or four million above the House. But he claimed that the Senate was banking on this extra largesse. Now, this is Monday before the latest results came out. 
Okay, and that the state and that the House budget that they had passed was just a few hundred thousand under the uh, revenue estimate. See, there's something called the consensus revenue est- estimate that all three parties, the governor, the House, and the Senate, they all agree on uh, late in the year, a couple months before the session begins in January. And they all agree that, okay, we're agreeing that the budget's going to show a 2% increase or 5% increase or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that there isn't fighting over, they don't spend five months fighting over what the increase is going to be. So they, the staff and the principals all get this worked out. Well, Jones was claiming that the Senate was uh, assuming that, 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 that this extra money coming in was going to continue. Okay, fast forward to f- Thursday. Budget State Budget Office puts out figures showing what I just said. Uh, 27% increase. Looks like at least $400 million more this year. Um, Within minutes, so obviously there had been some discussion between the budget office and the governors, the governor puts out an announcement saying he is going to file an amendment on Thursday uh, asking that the next budget have at least uh, earm- have a, an extra $86 million in it for one-time capital improvements. His point is let's bank the rest, but we'll to see what's going to happen, and but let's do this one-time capital improvements. So that included in his proposal about $28 million to upgrade the state capital, which has a leaky roof and some other problems, and it's a fabulous building. But so. it, it needs some work. <laughs> it needs some work. Yeah. But uh, And then also uh, $45 million to improve the state parks, and, um, and then about $13 million to uh, build a new state hospital in Fulton. Uh, which yeah. is for people with um, mental, is mainly is targeted towards the, the mentally Ill. Ill. Yeah. So uh, that's the guts of it. All right. So uh, an hour and a half later, uh, the speaker shows up in the press gallery and it says that there has been a deal cut, Senate, House, and the governor's office. And they're going to, and that uh, Rick Stream, the budget chief, who's also from Kirkwood, mm-hmm. will be introducing within minutes. <laughs> A uh, amendment for capital improvements, but it's going to be 121 million. Wow! So the Republicans have upped the ante. Why? 38 million is to buy this building that's right next to the Capitol that now houses the Department of Transportation. Right. The Department of Transportation is because it's outgrown its quarters or whatever. Wanted to move to another old building, the, the old prison site in in uh, Jefferson City. Historic. Yes. So the. Uh, the basically the legislature wants to buy that building and move a bunch of staff over there, mm-hmm. plus some other state employees that are housed in the Capitol because the Capitol, um, for all its glory, they do have tight quarters. Right. And um, so he said they had agreed. So thirty eight million for that, fifty million to improve the Capitol. And the question was, is that to help improve the legislators' offices? Or there's some suspicion about that. <laughs> the, the the parks proposal was cut by more than half to twenty million, um, but again there was also the Fulton Hospital in there. Now a key subplot to that: the Fulton Hospital improvements has been a pet project of Kurt Schaefer, uh, the uh, state senator from Columbia, who's been leading one of the charges on the whole concealed carry permit fight but also is head of the Appropriations Committee in the Senate. So the plot thickens. So now it's got something in that Schaefer would want. Okay, so 
Stream introduces this on the floor uh, right after lunchtime within minutes. It's approved by the House uh, uh, overwhelmingly, and uh, so it moves on. And everybody's happy, and Jones was saying great things about the governor, and this is just a few days after they were saying that he broke broke the law over concealed carry permits. It's it's amazing what a few extra hundred million will do to people's <laughs> yeah, it does point say, of view. Hey, for a few extra hundred million, <laughs> I, I, I could change my tune. It, it does well. seem like a different flavor than the last few years when it's just been these agonizing negotiations over what to cut and what to what to keep and— now that they have this extra money, you know, it just does seem like a change in mentality. But it also could change the fortunes for SB 26, which is this bill that I had been told off the record by some lobbyists the day before was probably dead, which is this proposal to cut corporate taxes in half, uh, reduce individual income taxes, and also increase the state sales tax. Uh, there had been controversy over whether... All sides agree it would cost the state's bottom line the issue if it's between two hundred million and nine hundred million. Mm-hmm. The governor's against it. Now there's also an alternate bill though that's being crafted over in the Senate that doesn't include the sales tax thing, just has some of the corporate tax cuts. That may revive and in fact Jones made some comment uh during the news conference when I asked him about this, that, you know, he believed that some of the improved fortunes was because of the uh, phase out of the state corporate franchise tax, which was started several years ago and which has been uh, being phased out. And that and that when it's all phased out does cost the state, if I recall, it's about 90. Don't hold me to this, but I think it's about $90 million a year when it's totally phased out. Mm. In the meantime, I did talk to the state budget chief, Linda Lubering. And she is the one with the word of caution. She says that, A, while the April numbers look good, she thinks a lot of it is because the stock market is back up. So um, some people whose stock was underwater, so if they sold it, they didn't owe anything, they could take losses, were now having to pay capital gains. And, of course, April was the month when income taxes were due. So they think that some of this was people having to pay on their capital gains of the last um, year because the stock market's been going gangbusters. So she was cautioning that this picture may not continue to be so great in a few months. So um, obviously she's not taking stances on legislation, but she is the budget division chief and in effect part of the Nixon administration. And Nixon has been taking a dim view of these uh, tax cuts, saying Missouri already is one of the lowest tax um, states in mm-hmm. the country. So there's this whole backdrop, and the uh, last two weeks will be interesting. Well, let's talk about some other sorts of spending <laughs> going on. Yes. But, Joe, there's there's a lot of—the budget gets a lot of press, but you wrote about something that hasn't been getting a lot of press, the alcohol spending. Talk a little—explain I'll be real issue. brief. I know because Jason's, like, rolling <laughs> no, his hands. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm I'm, I'm, an in, I'm an impatient man. Well, it's good. It's good. It's good because—but, okay, and I, I want to give a shout-out to the Missouri Times, a small um, mm-hmm. new publication in Jefferson City that just focuses on stuff that happens in the state capitol, and they did an exhaustive piece on this a couple weeks ago. It was extremely technical. It was more technical than I— than, I was going to write about, but this, this is something seems like a technical issue. But and see, this is the thing. Okay, basically, the bottom line is the courts the last year and a half have ruled 
uh, that the state's uh, laws governing franchises for alcohol uh, distributors and suppliers and retailers, that it, it changed the definition. So the result is it changed the relationship. And so it, it makes it more difficult, according to some, to have these um, exclusive arrangements. Okay. But the, the details are kind of a side issue. <laughs> What's the main point uh, for our listeners is that in Jefferson City, while there's officially all this talk about the budget, various tax cut proposals, all this other stuff, every lot, virtually every lobbyist in the state capitol also has been hired to represent one side or the other in this alcohol fight, which pits two major distributors. One of them is St. Louis-based major brands, and the other one is uh, Glazers of Missouri, which is based in um, Texas but has an operation here in the state. So these two distributors are in this dueling match over this um, over these bills to basically restore the old definition. Major Brands is for it. Glazers is against it. The mayor, uh, Francis Slay, unbeknownst to anybody until I got there on Monday and started asking around, I found out that the mayor had been coming to Jefferson City regularly to lobby on behalf of Major Brands. In fact, his campaign consultant, Richard Callow, Major Brands is one of his clients. Um, former uh, State House Speaker S- Steve Tilley also was Jefferson City <laughs> on mm-hmm. behalf of major brands. Uh, former Senate uh, President Pro Tem Mike Gibbons, a lawyer based in Kirkwood, also was in Jeff City on behalf of major brands. There's a bunch of other people who are based in uh, for Glazers, including former State Reps Steve Carroll and Rodney Hubbard. So. Uh, there's there's all of these. Uh, I mean, that's just a sampling. We're talking about two dozen lobbyists, and they're all making tons of money because all these alcohol, uh, both sides are pouring all this money for lobbyists to persuade the legislators to either vote for the bill or not for the bill. Glazers just started running TV and radio ads the last couple of days, including radio ads in the St. Louis area against these bills. So the my point is, what the bills are about is really kind of a subplot. Yeah. The, the the show is about all this money being spent um, to hire lobbyists to uh, influence the legislators to vote one way or the other. And um, right now the bills are, the word is that the bills may be stuck, but I'm also hearing that the provisions may be tacked on as an amendment onto something. So the drama continues and while everybody's talking about this other stuff, the uh, alcohol wars, as people have called it, is uh, a, a big, very expensive sideshow. And all the lobbyists admit to be very happy about it because they say everyone's making lots of money off of it. Yeah. The, the, al- al- the alcohol war- wars <laughs> sounds like a early 1900s <laughs> gangsters. It seems like this is brewing a lot of money. <laughs> One thing, just, just kind of on the Jefferson City note, um, one one bill that I've been paying attention that doesn't have to do with, you know, franchises is this bill that passed the House and is awaiting action in the Senate to basically obliterate St. Louis County and St. Louis City's foreclosure mediation ordinances. And the the, the reasons behind those, I've written a lot about them. You can go to stlbeacon.org to, to do it. And I think there's a real chance of this bill passing because the Missouri Bankers Association sees it as a big priority. It passed the House even with a bunch of Democratic votes. Now, why do they see it as a priority? They feel that foreclosure mediation is 
it costs them money. Mm-hmm. It, it it causes more time to pass before houses go between owners, which uh-huh. they which they see as detrimental. Um, realtors don't like that because they see it as disturbing the the real estate market. But proponents of it see it as a way of slowing the process down and giving people a chance to meet with their lenders and servicers in case there's any mistakes. And keep their homes. And potentially keep their yeah, homes. Yeah, potentially. They, right. it most, you know, in many cases, it won't. And the reason this has really fascinated me is it is a starkly different policy than what the state has done. And there have been efforts to take foreclosure mediation statewide. They have failed miserably. And, you know, I, I am going to be interested to see what happens. There are, I think, at least four state senators that I've talked to, maybe more, uh, Maria Chappelle Nadal, Jamila Nasheed, Joe Kevney, and Gina Walsh, and there may be more, who have said that they opposed this. I feel that— Oppose the bill or oppose the Oppose the bill. Oppose okay. the bill, okay. wiping out foreclosure mediation. Okay. And I think the, the whether it passes or not is going to depend on whether those senators are willing to filibuster it. Because if they, are, if they just talk, get up and talk and you know, decide not to block the bill— um, I think it will pass, and it will pass with a pretty large majority. And even if the governor vetoes it, I think it could have stand a real, real chance of being overridden. And it's a, it's I, it, it's not getting. I, I don't think it really is getting a whole lot of attention. I, I, I think, kind of to pair with your point, the Missouri Times is one of the other people that have have written about it. I, I know that the Post Dispatch wrote an editorial about it this week, and you know. It is a fascinating struggle, I think, between, you know, counties, charter counties that kind of want to pursue their own policy and, you know, the state that kind of wants to clamp down on that because some powerful interest groups are saying it would be detrimental to their interests. So that when I don't know whether that's going to be debated by the time I'm in Jefferson City next week, but it's going to be something that I'm going to be following as the legislature goes on. Yeah, and and before we leave Jeff City, just just real quick, I do want to mention that besides the budget pending, the mediation thing is actually part of a number of business-related um, bills on various issues from the Second Injury Fund to um, uh, uh, workers' comp to the taxes that are either going to be in conference or other things are still haggling some stuff out. So there's a lot of business-related issues out there. I just wanted to mention that, and this is one of them. Well, let's, let's bring it all back home, <laughs> or at least to a <laughs> suburb of home. We're going to talk now about the land of enchantment. <laughs> the land. Ellisville, Missouri. and um, a, a quaint old town. I don't know how much we've talked about this on the show, but... I don't think we have at Yeah, all. I started covering it a few weeks, I mean, about a month ago, and then Jason took over when I left for You, you can tell by the fact that I'm, I'm calling it a name, that it has... It is it is full of mirth and 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 wonder. Okay. Um, now give people I, the details. I'll give people the details. The, the former mayor, Adam Paul, basically did a bunch of stuff that angered the other council members while while he was mayor while he was mayor. and so that the previous council tossed him out they impeached yeah they him. impeached him he's saying all the reasons he was impeached were frivolous and there was a conspiracy against him and he's gone to court to and get he's his gone job to back. court to get it overturned so one of the interesting things was they took this vote on impeachment under the old city council correct and an election happened and two of paul's allies 
were elected. When you add and, that, and two were defeated. Two of his opponents were defeated. Uh, yeah. Right. So, basically, there's now a possibility that if they brought it up again, it could possibly get overturned. There's a swing vote. I Correct. think her name is Cindy Poole. Yes. And I may be saying her name wrong. I talked with her after the meeting. She says she's undecided on it. She wants to see everything before making a decision. And and one of the people on the council, still on the council, is Matt Perillo, who's a former mayor yeah. and who was among those who voted to impeach yeah. Paul. So the reason I bring that backdrop up, there was an attempt to bring this up last Wednesday. Correct. I guess that was two days ago. And it was not put on the agenda because the city manager called John Maupin, who's an attorney that's been brought in by the town, and he said that the motion that was made was crafted incorrectly, and it caused just a firestorm of criticism. You had Chet Pleban, who's a well-known attorney, getting into basically a back and forth with Perillo. You had now, ran- now Pleban's representing yeah, Paul. Re- representing there. Paul, you had angry townspeople hurling profanity at people. You had Perillo having to deal with all of these. Paul supporters after the meeting, I mean, I go back and forth on this. On the one hand, I Ellisville is a 9,000-person town in St. Louis County, one out of 90. If it ceased to exist tomorrow, I don't think that it would be I – I think life would go on, mm-hmm. okay? Its trials and tribulations are pale in comparison to some of the things that are going on in St. Louis City or elsewhere. But on the other hand, it is such a captivating and mesmerizing experience for people that watch it. And the issues about, you know, whether you put a Walmart there or not, I mean, it just it just it just kind of the saga that keeps on going. And I know that you've been kind of in that situation, too, watching it. And I'm sure I don't know if you come to the same conclusion, but well, I mean, I'm. Not taking sides on it, but what and, it does. And neither am I. I'm and what it I. does, and one of my early stories, I talked about this. El, the, the whole situation in Ellisville, though, does reflect the 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 pressures that all these municipalities in St. Louis County are under. Because now St. Louis County has over ninety municipalities um, to get their share of tax revenue. Um, the bottom line is they're all vying to get these big box stores within their borders. I'm overly simplifying it, but that's the bottom line. Ellisville lost a couple big box stores, and they've been dying to get this Walmart because they think it will help bring in tax revenue because they need it to operate their government and provide services yes. for their and community. Per- Perillo made that point abundantly clear afterwards. And, and see, Paul had been elected in part because he— had opposed the tax breaks that were being proposed to attract Walmart. Yes. So that's the bottom. So while the the issue of should they should should they should should they or should they not provide tax incentives to Walmart, it's really the broader case because all of these communities um, have to. Many of them have felt that they have had to provide tax incentives for various but I big say, box things but in I order say, to get more this tax This broader revenue. issue, I think, is getting increasingly lost in this like melodrama <laughs> that continues <laughs> between between you know Paul and his supporters and this, the Perillo and the other people that wanted to throw him out. And you know, somebody basically said that there has to be some conclusion on this, and that. If they keep going to where they're going to be sniping at each other, city business is not going to get 
done as quickly as possible. The legal costs are just going to keep going up for the city. I mean, because the city has had to defend and go through this process, it's cost tens of thousands of dollars. And I've heard the argument before that the Perillo and some of the anti-Paul people are saying is if Paul didn't break parts of the charter, then there wouldn't have been impeached and he wouldn't have to go through all these legal uh, you know, situations. But and this is ending up now with judge, with the judge having, I mean, in effect, the courts are going to def- decide yeah. this. So that is the, the counter argument. But it kind of goes back to what I was saying before. This situation is just, you know, so wacky and has so much tension and emotion to it that, you know, until there is a conclusion, it's still going to garner public attention and it's still going to garner a lot of media attention. So the ball is in your court, Ellisville. If you want to continue on this path, we're going to keep watching it. Well, and Jason has now proposed there there are new signs for going in Ellisville. Ellisville, the land of enchantment. The land A- actually, of that's, enchantment. Actually, that's kind of nice. I, I think that would do very well for them to compete with the mighty Baldwins and Chesterfields of the world. And I'm, I'm biased. My, my dad grew up in Chesterfield. I heard that they just got Monsanto to expand there. That's true. <laughs> I think that Chesterfield will become the biggest municipality in St. Louis County yeah. in five years. Yes. So... Well, we will be back next week where we'll be devoting an <laughs> I don't know why entire just, half hour. I don't know why I just said that. That was a totally random statement. That's all right. It's okay. uh, next week we'll be devoting our entire half hour to uh, the Ellisville <laughs> Land of debate, Enchantment. The Land of Enchantment. Probably debate. not. I think that's enough for, for okay. one century. Okay. Well, we'll find out next week. You can follow me on Twitter at, at CSMcDaniel. You can follow Jason on Twitter at... Jay Rosenbaum. And you can follow Joe on Twitter. And Jay Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. You can read all of Marshall and I's stories at stlpublicradio.org. You can read all of Joe and Jason's stories at stlbeacon.org. We'll be back next week. Until then, so long. So long from the land of enchantment. Oh.